Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Potting the Red Sox, bloggingtheredsox.com podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Campbell, and today I'm happy to be joined by SoxProspects.com's Director of Scouting, Ian Cundell. Ian, thank you for joining me today. Uh, are you excited that we're only about a week away from uh, the start of minor league baseball? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's been a uh, it's been a long, long time since we had minor league baseball to go to and cover. And, uh, you know, it's just nice that we were able to get through and we finally got it back in uh, about a week, as you said. Uh, first off, for the listeners who might not be too familiar, uh, what is SoxProspects.com and what responsibilities does your role as uh, the site's director of scouting entail? Uh, yeah, SoxProspects.com is a independently run um, site uh, that covers the Red Sox farm system from top to bottom. We have just a website where we scouting reports of uh, every prospect in the system. Um, we go to the games. We have an active message board where people can, you know, come in and talk about the Red Sox. Uh, we have, you know, a bunch of different pages, stat pages, transaction pages. We pretty much just cover their system inside and out and have uh, just your one-stop shop when you want to know about what's going on with the Red Sox farm system. And then uh, as for my role specifically as the director of scouting, I'm responsible for uh, all of the scouting activities of the site. So I go to all the games. Um, I brought, write all the scouting reports. Uh, I co-host the podcast and just produce a bunch of con- scouting related content um, based on, you know, my first hand uh, impressions of players and from talking to scouts and other, you know, MLB personnel about what, what they are seeing as well. And how'd you get into scouting in the first place? I mean, I looked at your LinkedIn profile last night and it looks like uh, you have an interest in environmental science. Yeah, I was actually, uh, it was funny. I was down in DC uh, interning in college, working for the EPA. And I just started going to baseball games in my free time. And um, that was kind of just how I started, you know, picked it up and kind of just, it's uh, expanded from there. And that's kind of, I got my start though, when I was down in DC. And just recently, how has the, ongoing pandemic change things for you in regards to keeping up with scouting activities, keeping in contact with scouts, stuff like that. Yeah, it's been tough. Um, you know, obviously the biggest change was I've been able to go to a game. I actually got out to my first game since September of 2019, uh, last weekend when I went out to Worcester, uh, for some scrimmages. But, um, I think that was the biggest change last year. Obviously, you know, there was no minor league season. So all we really had was the alternate site. And thankfully the, uh, Pawtucket at that time, Pawtucket, uh, broadcasted all the games on, um, their Twitter. So I was able to watch a lot of those. And, um, then if when that, after that, there was the fall instructional league. And thankfully I knew I some contacts down there. So we were able to get information on that because we obviously couldn't travel to it. So I, it, it was challenging, but you know, we, we got through it and it'll be nice to be able to start going to games again, once the regular season gets going. And uh, once the minor league season does begin, do you think it'll take some getting used to to the fact that the Lowell Spinners are defunct and uh, the Red Sox AAA affiliate now plays in Worcester as opposed to Pawtucket? Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed going to Lowell. Um, it was probably one of the levels I spent the most time at, partially or mostly because it just it was all new players. You know, when, when I'm going to Pawtucket or Portland, it's, I'm seeing a lot of guys I've seen throughout the years, and that's obviously really important in tracking their progression. But with Lowell, it's, you know, it's where I got those first looks at a lot of guys. You know, it's where I got my first look at Andrew Benintendi. It's where I got my first look at, um, you know, guys like that, uh, some of the top prospects in the system who've made their way through. Um, and it was always fun to, you know, 
compare what you see with that first look to the end. And now obviously it's going to change because Salem is now their lowest affiliate outside of the complex leagues. So it's, it's going to be a little different. And then uh, the same thing with Pawtucket, you know, I went, I've been to Pawtucket going for years, even going back to before I started with the site as a fan, when I was yet growing up um, since I'm from the area or I'm from Massachusetts. And um, you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun to go to um, a lot of good memories there, but saw my first like no hitter there. I've seen a lot of stuff there, but um, at the end of the day, you know, the park was, wasn't the best. And uh, having seen the new Worcester park and kind of gotten to walk around it and see what it's like, I it's, I'm really excited for what the future holds for Worcester for the Worcester uh, Red Sox and uh, kind of that new park and getting to go there. It's going to be really nice. You mentioned Polar Park. Is that like it's still like under construction, though, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah. So um, I was there for they, the, the the Red Sox did some uh, alternate site scrimmages against the Mets team, or the Mets alternate site team um, last weekend. They played three games, and they've since gone to Brooklyn, or they went to Brooklyn before it, and they went again this week um, because they were allowed to do some scrimmages with a close by team as long as the MLB team was on the road when they were on the road. And so I, um, I was able to, thankfully I was uh, able to go to those games and, um, the park definitely has, there's still some work to be done. Um, you know, the concourse and some of the outfield areas, there's, it's still an active construction site, frankly, but, uh, from what I understand, the hope is it'll be ready for fans by, um, I think it's May 11th is their first home game. So, uh, things are looking good. And I, I think they recently announced that they're going to be able to do the 25% capacity. So I'm excited for other fans to get a look at it. Cause it is a beautiful park. It's, you know, state of the art, brand new facility. You can't ask for much more. Are there any like key things you took away from your time observing the alternate site workouts? Um, in regards to the park or in regards to the players players. Uh, yeah. So I saw, um, I think the, uh, the most impressive performance belonged to Jaron Duran. Um, obviously he's, you know, he, one of the more intriguing prospects in the system, uh, stand out from spring training this year. And he had a couple of home runs in one of the games that I went to, uh, you know, with his swing change that we've talked a lot about on our podcast and on our website, uh, he really is, it's allowed him to tap into his power. And he showed that again in game action, you know, hitting a long home run off of, um, an MLB pitcher, or an ex MLB pitcher and Jordan Yamamoto. And uh, then another one later in the game. And it's, you know, he's can now really drive the ball. And that was one of the big question marks for him coming up and kind of has changed his projection now that the, he, there's definitely power potential. Whereas before, you know, he looked like an empty, an empty power, you know, or, sorry, an empty batting average type of profile. Whereas now there's definitely some power upside. So it'll be interesting to see how it kind of, if it continues to translate and what it looks like once the regular season gets going. And in regards to Duran, well, I guess in regards to Gilberto Jimenez, do you think he could have like a similar track with Duran? Whereas like at first he was like more reliant on his speed, but then he like builds up his power to add more dimensions to his game as he continues to develop. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the challenge with Jimenez is his frame is not like Duran's Duran's like six, two, um, six, two ish, you know, 210, 15 pounds of solid muscle. Whereas Jimenez kind of has a shorter stockier frame. He's probably like five, nine, five, 10, maybe five, 11. And, uh, he's, he actually put on a bunch of weight, a good weight though. He got a lot stronger this off season. I think he's listed at like 210, 215. Now he's built more like a, you know, running back. Whereas Duran is a kind of longer wiry type frame. So, um, I don't think him and has as much power upside as Duran does now, but, um, I do think there is some untapped power that he'll get into once he matures physically. Cause after all, he's still only 19 years old or 20 years old. I can't, he might've just turned 20, but yeah. And just since, uh, Haim Bloom took over in 2019, has uh, SoxProspects.com coverage of the Red Sox farm system changed at all? 
Um, I mean, I think the biggest change is what we talked about with the pandemic. Um, you know, obviously Bloom, uh, Haim Bloom's come in and he's also g- gone out and made a lot of moves to kind of rebuild the farm system, which has been interesting for us, you know, obviously starting with the Mookie Betts trade, then, you know, moving on to the regular season, the Nick Pavetta trade, um, where they got Connor Siebold also. And I think the biggest difference is that he just does a lot of like these smaller move under the radar moves, you know, picking guys in the rule five, like Garrett Whitlock trading for guys like Yohan Ibar for Christian costs. There's just a lot of under the radar moves and just a lot more constant turnover in the minor league system, which we kind of didn't really have under the Dombrowski regime. So that's been interesting is that there's just so many new prospects that I've yet to see in game action because of the pandemic. So that's kind of, I think the, the most exciting part is going into the season is just, there's so many new faces that I've never seen live. Like even last week when I was in Worcester, I realized that I'd never seen Jeter Downs and Connor Wong play in a game before. And it feels like they were acquired years ago, but you know, obviously it was right before the pandemic and they didn't get to play in any real games last year. So I think that's the biggest difference. And uh, this is looking ahead a little bit, but going into this year, Baseball America ranked Boston's farm systems the 20th best in baseball. But do you think by this time next year, they'll be able to jump up the rankings a little bit? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, I think that the biggest thing, the reason they'll be able to jump is because with that number four overall pick in the upcoming MLB draft in July, you know, that's the chance to add a true impact type player. That's the one thing with all the transactions the Red Sox have made, they haven't really added any of those, you know, top echelon prospects in the system obviously Jeter Downs is but other than that it's more building out the depth and so the number four overall pick and what's looking like a really strong draft for the top you know four players gives them a chance to add one of those guys and you know whether it be Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, Jordan Lawler, Marcel Meyer or someone else you know they have a chance to add a true you know impact top 50-ish overall top 100 overall player immediately and so obviously that's going to cause it to rise but i also think that there's some other guys in the system who could take a step forward that could cause it to move up a little bit um but you have to balance that with it also could happen it could also stay pretty uh remain kind of similar because it's going to be balanced out by guys graduating like bobby dahlbeck is not going to be prospect eligible next year there's a chance jaron duran won't be there's a chance jeter down I, i don't think it's likely but jeter downs potentially even like so you kind of have to look at it's a trade-off, you know, who's coming in, who's going out, and where's that going to net you. But I, I think on a whole, the odds of them moving up are pretty good. And out of the four names you mentioned, who would you like to see the Red Sox take at number four? I mean, I don't really have a preference at this point. I, I've I've just started kind of doing my own research and reaching out to people to to learn about them. Um, obviously, they have they're going to have way more information at the time and. I, I think it's kind of just going to be a situation of what falls to them because when you're picking fourth, when there's four, you know, upper echelon players, you don't really have a choice. You know what I mean? You're, you're kind of going to be left with one of them most likely, or maybe two if some, something weird happens at the top. So I don't, I, I don't have a preference really. I, I think that they both have both, you know, both sets of right-handed pitchers because there's two of those. And then the two high school shortstops, either of the, any of the four would be a great addition to the system. Do you think there's any chance they take a college bat like Sal Frelick or Henry Davis? I mean, sure. I, I, you know, we don't know what guys bonus demands are going to be. There's a lot of variables and there's still a lot can change. You know, we're still what three months out from the draft. So, I mean, you never know, you know, they could try to go kind of like how it do similar to what the Orioles did last year, um, where they went under slot in the first round with Heston Kerstad, a college bat, as you kind of alluded to in order to go over slot later with high school guys. So there's definitely a chance they could do that. And it, those two guys seem like kind of the, the, the top college bat targets would be if they choose to go that route. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, in your view, are there any under-the-radar guys who are Rule 5 eligible this winter that could be added to Boston's 40-man roster by November? 
Um, yeah. So I, I think that this year, um, the rule five eligibility, it's going to be interesting with the Red Sox. Cause obviously they've, they've made a lot, a lot of changes over the, the past couple of years, turned over a lot of the roster and they're getting kind of thin with the number of spots they have. I mean, there's obvious guys that have to be added like Thad Ward, um, Jeter Downs, Jaron Duran are definitely going to be added, but I think like kind of an under the radar guy who's one to watch would be someone like Josh Winkowski. Uh, Winkowski was acquired from the Mets in that we, in the three-way Andrew Benintendi trade. He's someone who went unprotected in rule five last year, but uh, in spring training, he was pretty impressive. You know, he, he came out and looked like an improved pitcher. And I think he's someone that if he has a good minor league season, um, you know, you might not have originally thought you have to protect, but could be someone that they have to, you know, get on the 40 man roster in order to ensure he's not selected and, you know, goes the way like Garrett Whitlock has done for the Yankees. And these are some other guys I uh, listed, but maybe you have some thoughts like AJ Politi, Darvin Feltman, Anthony Flores, Chase Shugart. Do you have any thoughts on those guys? Uh, yeah, so three of the um, the, the three pitchers, I, I I just think it, we've they've kind of shown over the last couple of years that um, guys that they project as relievers are not necessarily priorities for the uh, Rule Five draft. You know, you can you can find those guys, and I think that if any of them have standout seasons, there's a chance, but it's more they're going to have to play their way on. Right now, I wouldn't project it. And then with regards to Flores, I think he's just too far away. You know, he's not someone that I would be comfortable saying could stick at the major league level for a full season. And I don't think any other team would think that. So I, I think you can kind of get away with not adding him for that reason. So what do you think happened to Flores in general? Like it wasn't that long ago. He was like the top, one of the top position player prospects in the system. Then it seems to stutter and lull a little bit. Uh, yeah, he he's just really had a lot. His last couple of years have been tough. And I, I think it's partially that he's physically matured, but um, in lost athleticism. And that was one of the things with him coming up when uh, he originally was seen, when I saw him back in instructs and down in the GCL, when he, he was coming up was that he was really a quick twitch athlete could really field shortstop could move a little bit. And that athleticism has just decreased as he's gotten bigger. His sprint speed is, you know, gone down a couple grades, his defense has regressed and now he's probably a second baseman, not a shortstop anymore. So I think it's just one of those natural, you know, physical development happens. And sometimes it doesn't work out for a player. And he's someone who for now, you know, has, has, has regressed um, athletically and that has really impacted his overall game. Just staying on the topic of the rule five draft. Do you think any teams regret not taking Edward Bizarro when they had the chance, uh, I believe it was two years ago. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he, he's someone who obviously really popped up in instructs last year. I heard really good things and was able to got those reports out and, um, he was someone that I, I've long liked. I actually was on the record as saying he should have been protected in the rule five draft two years ago. And I had knew from teams that were interested in him and obviously passed on him. And so the Red Sox were lucky they dodged a bullet there. And obviously with how, with how he looked in instructs last year, they had no choice, but to protect him this year, he would have been the first overall pick in the rule five draft. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are some teams that regret it because he looks like someone who could be a, you know, a middle relief type, maybe even like a seventh inning guy as a ceiling. But the bit most important thing is he's close to MLB ready. Like, frankly, I think he could be pitching in the, in the major league bullpen for the Red Sox right now, if they had a need. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's up in the next couple of weeks or, you know, next couple of months and just up for good and becomes a key part of their bullpen going forward. And uh, would you envision Garrett Whitlock transitioning to a starting pitching role uh, anytime soon, or will they hold Red Sox hold off on that until next season in your view? I don't think it will be something that happens this season. I, th I think that this year is about making sure he gets through the season healthy and they kind of just continue his development because after all, you know, he jumped directly from double A to the majors. He he's coming off missing a full season due to Tommy John surgery. So he's still very much a prospect, even though he's dominating at the major league level and the scouts I talked to, and uh, I even was talking to one yesterday about it. 
all think that long-term he's got a chance to start. And, you know, a starting pitcher is more valuable than a reliever, just how it is. And so if the Red Sox feel comfortable that he can start and from what it seems like they do think he has a chance to start, you definitely would try to make that transition. It's just that's something that's a lot easier to do over an offseason than it is during the regular season. And frankly, they probably can't afford to make him a starter right now because the bullpen, you know, after Matt Barnes, I think he's the person that the team trust the most coming out of the bullpen obviously his usage is very limited but you know if you remove him to try and put him in the rotation it kind of creates a gap in that bullpen that they would have to fill but do you think his uh, usage is sustainable though like you said like he's only being used like once every five days like a starter would yeah no it, it's it's an interesting kind of conundrum they're in because obviously they would like to use him more but at the same time they have to be cognizant of his further development and long-term health coming off tommy john things like that and i do think that it is the way they are starting to use him now basically just pitching in multiple innings and leverage situations is the way to go forward and maybe you know that increases a little bit to maybe once every four days as the season gets going but um i don't think we're going to see him as someone who ends up pitching you know back-to-back days or anything like that he's just too valuable a piece to be burning in one inning roles right now. I, I think the multi-inning role where he's pitching every few days is just the way it has to be. And after what Nick Pavetta did on Wednesday, I mean, I saw a lot of tweets talking about how that trade with the Phillies from last summer is already a win for the Red Sox. But like my question is about the other trade they made around that same time. I mean, when they acquired Hudson Poss and Jason Rosario from the Padres for Mitch Moreland, mm-hmm. because I myself am pretty high on both those guys, but I haven't heard much about them uh, this year. So what do you make of those two? Yeah. So the, I think the, the problem or what, what's happened with those two is just, they've been hurt. Um, obviously Rosario uh, got some run during major league spring training, but then he pulled up limp. I, I want to say in a game against the Braves. And I believe, I think he strained his hamstring or I believe it was a hamstring. And so he, he missed some time and kind of was shut down for camp from that. And then Potts never got going because he was injured too. So I think that's the biggest reason, you know, they're not on the ATS roster either. So they're probably both going to be going to Portland to start the year. And I just think it's an injury related thing where the two of them just have had a slow start because of setbacks from injury and you know we'll have to see what they look like once the portland season gets going in a week or so out of the two players to be named later they got um i was was jacob also a player to be named later i believe he was but him and zach bryant who do you think has the higher ceiling probably wallace uh, but no. um so i haven't seen either of them but um I, we have uh, Wallace ahead and talking to scouts that he was the one that guys seemed to like. Uh, he was obviously required from the Rockies, I believe in the Kevin Pillar trade. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's a college reliever at, from UConn um, really good numbers and in, in when he was at stores or I think it's in stores. And um, he's someone who's just interesting, you know, fastball slider guy throws pretty hard, funky delivery. And he's he, oh, the guys I talked to thought he has a chance to be an MLB bullpen piece someday. And Brian, it's similar, you know, relief profile, but I just think guys, the guys I talked to at least uh, thought of Wallace a little higher than Bryant. And what do you make of the team's catching depth going into the um, minor league season? There's a lot of interesting pieces there between like Connor Wong, Ronaldo Hernandez, Johnny Pareda. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, obviously an area they've looked sought to improve as it was definitely the weakest in the system heading into when high and balloon took over. And with Wong Hernandez, now they've got a couple of guys who are in our, you know, around our top 20 prospects who are pretty interesting. And yeah, as you said, Johnny Prade is another one. They still got Rodani Baldwin hanging around, even going down lower, you know, you got like Cole Cottom, Jax Groshans were both relatively early draftees. So they've got some more guys now. And that's just the most important thing is, you know, are any of them going to take a step forward and establish themselves as a potential major league, you know, even as a bench catcher, you know, starting catcher type, which we'll have to see, you know, it's going to take some time and, uh, you know, they haven't played in games in over a year. So 
yeah, we'll see what happens there. Do you think Wong's ceiling is maybe higher because he can play a little bit of infield too? I mean, obviously versatility helps. And yeah, that that's the thing. But I, I think with Hernandez and Wong, that, that it's going to come down to the hit tool with both of them. You know, they both have question marks about whether or not they they're going to make enough contact to um, you know profile as an everyday guy. And so it's kind of just a wait and see with them to see how they fare in regular season action because of obviously there's so much missed time over the last year plus. And of the prospects currently on Boston's forty man roster, do you think there are any at risk of losing their spot? Like maybe like a Marcus Wilson, for example. I mean, definitely there's a chance. I, I think that they have some some uh, some relievers that you're you might look to first. Or they could also do what they did last offseason when they pulled off that Yohan Ibar for Christian Cost trade and look to trade one of the prospects, someone like Wilson, for a lower level guy in order to clear up that 40 man spot. So they have some options. Um, but yeah, I mean Wilson's definitely someone who needs to come out and uh and and show what he's got in the in once the Portland or Worcester season, I think it'll be in Worcester probably season gets going is, as I, I think you're right. He's he kind of on the bubble right now for those 40 minute spots. And a uh, second la- to last question for me of all the homegrown players currently on the Red Sox's major league roster, which were the most enjoyable to watch coming up through the minors for you, like between Devers, Bogarts, guys like that. Yeah, that's a fun question. Um, I would say that I just thoroughly enjoyed watching Raphael Devers hit. Uh, there was just something, you know, going back to even when I saw him the very first time, I want to say it was fall instructs way back in the day that the ball just sounded different coming off his bat. You know, there's certain guys where you hear that, that, you know, that little ping or the thud, whatever, I don't know how to describe it, but that sound he makes coming off the bat was just the, it just sounded different. And that's when you, there's certain guys like that, when you hear that sound and you're like, oh, wow, this guy is going to be something. And I just, you know, remember vividly him just seeing his BPs and just seeing him play, you know, back in Greenville way back in the day when Greenville was the low A affiliate and just being like blown away. And just, you could tell this guy was going to be a a monster and, you know, he's really impressed. I mean, he's obviously had his up and downs, but he's shown his potential at the MLB level. And I still think he's going to be a consistent all-star for years to come at some point. And were there any prospects that uh, they traded under Dombrowski that you thought would pan out, but really haven't yet? Like uh, the Basabe brothers, maybe, or one of the guys they traded to the Padres in the Craig Kimbrell trade? Yeah, I, I think one one guy who I, I thought, obviously, and it's it's not by any fault of his own, um, it's just due to injury, is Anderson Espinosa. So obviously part of that Craig Kimbrell trade. And I think he's had two Tommy John surgeries now. Um, I saw him back in his first pro season in Greenville and he was the most impressive teenage arm I've ever seen. You know, he was sitting in the mid nineties with a hammer breaking ball as a 18 year old in low a, and it was just remarkable stuff. I mean, he, he, the sky was the limit for him. Um, It was just, just injuries and, you know, with pitchers, that's unfortunately what happens. So injuries have set him back his career a few years, but I think he's back and healthy now. And I'm, I'm still hopeful that there's a chance that he can turn out and kind of reach his potential. Just speaking of injured pitchers, do you think uh, Brian Mata's ceiling or potential has been a little bit hindered now that he's out for the year? Yeah, obviously this is a bad setback for him. You know, he's had injury issues over the years before um, and he, he needed to get his innings up and kind of, you know, establish himself as a surefire starting pitching prospect. And now obviously that, that further raises into question whether he can stick in the rotation long-term and with that added risk bullpen risk, which he has now the, the definitely is his projection has uh, decreased a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of just a wait and see now. We don't know what his stuff's going to look like when he comes back from Tommy John, it's kind of just, we're in a holding pattern with him and, We'll, we'll, you know, he'll be back at some point, maybe late next season or in 2022 and or 2023, I guess. And we'll just kind of have to see what it looks like back then and just go from there and adjust accordingly.
So I think Connor Sheeble kind of takes over as that next best uh, depth rotation option behind Hauk. Yeah, I think Seabold is definitely that option. Um, you know, he's stretched out. I saw him throw six innings down in Worcester last week, and he was pretty impressive. He's working on a his uh, he's added on the fourth pitch. So now he's a fastball changeup cur- slider curveball guy. He's throwing a lot of sliders and really working on that pitch to develop it to go along with his already good changeup. His velocity's up ticket uh, ticked up a little bit. I think that if they needed a starting pitching option for some reason, they got to having needing a seventh starter that he would definitely be the guy. And would you ever, could you see Josh Ockamy perhaps making his major league debut this season? Um, I, you know, I mean, I obviously wouldn't rule it out. He he's not on the 40 man, which is tough. And they do have a few options at first base ahead of him. But the one thing they're lacking on that 40 man is they don't really have any left-handed power bats um, in the farm system right now. So that if they needed, you know, a left-handed hitting power bat, you know, there's always a chance. I do think he can hit righties at the major league level. I'm just, you know, his defense and his inability to hit lefties are kind of what hold him back. But I still think he'll get a cup of coffee at some point. And if he excels, you never know. All right. And last question for me. I mean, I kind of lie with the whole second last question thing. But um, now that code restrictions are starting to loosen up a little bit, uh, do you have any plans to do any some traveling to like Worcester or Portland or maybe even Greenville or Salem to get some scouting work in this season? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, I've been in Worcester already, and I'll be at, I'll be out there uh, most likely for opening day and then for uh, plenty of games this year. Same thing with Portland; I'll see them a lot either in Portland or in New Hampshire when they're playing the Fisher Cats. And um, yeah, I think I think uh, hopefully I'll be able to get down to Salem and Greenville. Um, each of them at least once this season also to check in on them. So yeah, the plan, there's going to be a lot of traveling once, um, once the season gets going, cause I'll be fully vaccinated and ready to go. All right. Uh, Ian Kundal, thank you very much for your time. Uh, you can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian Kundal and check out his work at socksprospects.com. Ian, thank you again. No problem, Brendan. Thank you for having me on.